Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area, but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. These are the days... The Lord has given to us, the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And um, that is one of the challenges that we have, to be able to say that in 2023 and each and every day throughout this year. As the Lord gives us days, and however many days he gives us, that we can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. And he has given us a message, he has given us, he has commissioned us to go forth into this world to do his work. Um, But we face many challenges and obstacles this morning of our own demise. And of course, that is why we have been considering things that we need to know here in 2023. And one of the things that we need to know is what Jesus said in John chapter 14. We're only going to look at verse number 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. And this is a verse that each one of us, anyone who professes faith in Christ, needs to know and to be assured of. So I want to assure some of you this morning, those of you who are here Wednesday, that this is not going to be a repeat. It will be an addition to the other night and the coming Wednesdays over the next few weeks. But it is important that those who are not part of the Wednesday service are made aware of some of these things as well. Now we are continuing our focus upon things we need to know. And in this strange day that we live in, And mercy, is it strange. Uh, It makes me want to listen to, what was it, the the doors that sound people are strange? Am I correct? Anyone want to admit it? Come on. I know you listen. It was the doors, right? Yep. All right. right. So, um, anyway, people are strange. That is becoming a song I have to reference every once in a while to keep my own sanity Uh, Because, listen, if people were strange to the doors, then you know people are really strange. And uh, so we are living in this strange world, and it's essential for us to know something, and it's the basic aspect of Christianity, right? I mean, this is so elementary here this morning, even though we are going to try to make a few applications, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that everyone that comes to God exclusively comes through Jesus Christ. There is no access to God. There is no fellowship with God. There is no knowing God. 
There is no forgiveness from God. There is no salvation by God. There is no reconciliation to God outside of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So John 14, 6 is a verse that every Christian needs to know. You need to make, uh, you need to make this a verse that you have memorized. And the great thing about it, it's not too complicated either, right? Um, so if you can get the gist of it by just saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, these words are profound, and they carry significant implications for all humanity, for the whole world. And in a world where relativism and pluralism reign, in a day and age of postmodernism and deconstruction, Jesus' statement is considered narrow-minded and exclusive. Now, actually, depending upon what category you are thinking in, It actually is not exclusive. It's actually inclusive, right? It's inclusive of all humanity that comes through Jesus Christ. These words and this claim by Jesus and Christianity is deemed to be the worst of a hate speech in a world gone mad. And it has absolutely gone mad. And unfortunately, we have gone mad right along with it. We have followed all this progressive uh, stuff, uh, garbage, uh, to our own demise. And we now adhere to an inclusive uh, type of Christianity. And I don't know how to get Christians to understand how mad this world has became and uh, how deconstructed we are And the desolation that is upon us, I really don't know how to get Christians to understand this. Because on one hand, I actually run the risk of reviving uh, the end times prophecy nonsense in people's uh, heads and and, uh, in their responses. uh, That has been ingrained in us by evangelicalism and fundamentalism all throughout the 1900s, even into the 21st century here. And that is absolutely not what I want to do. But like with so many topics, we have to just say what needs to be said and try to get Christians to actually investigate things rather than just mindlessly repeat the same drivel that has helped create this mess that we are currently in. So here it goes. We are not forecasting the possibility of a future storm. This is not a storm watch. This is not a tornado watch. We are not forecasting that the conditions are right for a powerful storm. This is not a storm warning. This is not a tornado warning. We are not setting off tornado sirens because one has been spotted in the area. We are not saying, take shelter, the storm is upon us. We are saying that the storm has already passed through and it was the worst storm that we have ever seen because it has left nothing in its wake. It is complete devastation, complete destruction. Everything is in ruins. Those who have survived are so disoriented and in shock that they don't even know what has happened. They are in denial and have lost all grasp on reality. We are not saying that we are being deconstructed. What we are saying is we have been deconstructed. We are not saying that there is an apostasy coming in the future 
The apostasy is complete, and it has been for a long period of time. When we were looking at some things from uh, on Wednesday night, I um, gave everybody uh, quite a few quotes from gentlemen as far back as 1908, G.K. Chesterton, and, and then T.S. Eliot in 1939, uh, who were saying that we had already lost everything, that Christendom was gone, deconstructed, and we were now suffering uh, the consequences of it all the way back then. So what we are saying is this. We are not Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah. We are Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. We are not the prophet Isaiah. We are Daniel who prayed in Daniel chapter 9, verse 13 through 14, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous and in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. That is us. That is where we are at. So stop worrying about what is to come and understand that we are it. Christians always talk about the apostasy that was going to come, American Christians especially, and they were the apostasy. Right? Isn't that the crazy thing? We were the ones that we were warning everybody about (laughs) because we were the apostasy. We are it. Therefore, what is left and where we are at is that we must return to the Lord our God in faith and repentance. And this is the thing that I don't understand. Why can't we acknowledge the fact that we screwed up? It's pretty easy, right? I mean, you have to just admit your errors. Have you ever seen kids out on the baseball field? I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again, right? And so, the sun got in my eyes. The ball hit a pebble. Every excuse, uh, my glove, there's something wrong with my glove. Every excuse under the sun, instead of just saying, guess what, you dropped the ball. And so, that's what we need to do. We need to repent, acknowledge our sins, confess our sins, turn from our sins, and start obeying Christ. Isn't that what we call Christianity? That's like Christianity 101. Isn't that what we say we are followers of? But yet, we can't even acknowledge our own sins. We are so self-righteous, we are so pharisaical, that we cannot even acknowledge our own sins. At one time, it was because of pride. Unfortunately, now we've reached the point it's just indifference. Which is an indicator of how deconstructed we are. Complete deconstruction is the death of everything. There is nothing left, and you know there is nothing left when there is no longer any conviction. So, we can tell Christians that we really messed up, 
when it came to birth control and that we've actually participated in the murder or abortion of you know, potentially of our own babies. And at best, the response we get back is that uh, it does not matter because we don't know if we did actually or not, and somehow that makes it okay. But all we have to do is a simple math equation to understand that we have. Especially when... Everyone is lying because we did it, at the very least, knowing that some of these methods were abortifacients. We knew that they acted that way. Now, we're not talking about the aspects of family planning and things of that nature, but we're talking about abortifacient-type chemicals that are abortive. But that's the way it is nowadays, right? I mean, we are, I mean, in all seriousness and in all reality, when we consider the state that we are presently in, the fact of the matter is we are so full of baloney, it's ridiculous nowadays. I mean, it is so ridiculous that a guy can dress up with some paint on his face, put on a dress, and get put on the can of uh, Bud Light and us say, that's a woman. That's how ridiculous it is, right? But it's a ridiculous across the board. We are so full of baloney nowadays that it is astounding and it is absurd. And then we either play dumb or we will hold on to the stupidest reasoning for something when we know it's baloney. We know 100% it's absolute baloney. But yet we will hold on to it. And so we need to understand the reasons why this has occurred. You know, there's cultural conformity. Uh being influenced by culture, right? And it's getting worse and worse and worse, especially as we, the technology advances, the conformity is going to become greater and greater and greater. I mean, it's Operation Mind Control, right? Um, what was that one song? Operation Minecraft or something like that. Um, that's where we are at, this cultural conformity. And, you know, Christians living in the West are often influenced by prevailing cultural norms and values, and especially the young people. Um, And everybody, especially when you're young, you're influenceable, right? That's why TikTok is so big of a deal, because young people are easily influenced. I know, even in my day, we were easily influenced by the prevailing cultural values and norms, which conflict now with biblical teachings at a very high degree. And so this can lead to a form of cultural Christianity in which individuals adopt adopt a watered-down or a distorted version of the faith. And then there's emotionalism, right? Emotions play a big part in our lives, and they influence us greatly. And Christianity and Christians are not immune to emotional manipulation. And some uh, Christian communities even prioritize emotional experiences over theological depth or 
biblical fidelity. And this can result in a focus on feelings and subjective experiences that lead to spiritual delusion. And then there is individualism, the Western emphasis on individual autonomy. And let me say, there is nothing worse, absolute worse. And, you know, we, we were caught up in it. We were born into it. We inherited this mess and so forth. But there is nothing worse. There's nothing more satanic than Western democracy. Nothing more satanic. And guys were warning us about this all the way back in 1908. G.K. Chesterton. I commend him to you to read. Uh, T.S. Eliot. C.S. Lewis. Were telling us. That, because the movement back then, no creed but the Bible, throw out all the old stuff, throw out the structure, throw out the creeds, throw out the confessions, throw out historical Christianity. And we did it. And they warned us that if you do that, you will kill all thought. They told us that if you do that, it will become postmodern, and it has. It used to be, at least in the old structure of things, the saying was, I think, therefore I am, and now it is, I am not, therefore I cannot think. Because that's where we're at in this deconstructed age. There's nothing absolute. There's nothing true. And so this individualism that has ran rampant has destroyed all structure, all accountability, all order, all authority. Now it's just everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes. And it is a terrible place to be. But the Western emphasis on individual autonomy has led us to this personalized Christianity, right? In which individuals create their own version of the faith, often without regard for the historic creeds and teaching of the church. Therefore, it results in a lack of accountability and a tendency towards self-delusion. And then there's the prosperity theology, the prosperity gospel that teaches that God rewards faithful believers with material blessings, and some Christians in the West have been influenced by this teaching. I'd say probably it's a very high percentage of those who have been influenced by this, and it, of course, leads to a distorted view of God and his purposes and can result in a form of spiritual delusion in which... Uh, material success is equated with spiritual success. And then there are, of course, false teachings, which all of this, you know, is connected to. But especially the uh, prevalence of false teachings. How can you keep up? How can the church combat the false teachings that are prevalent today? Particularly through social media, and other digital channels, and it was bad enough when it was religious broadcasting on TV, right? I mean, we wasn't even able to withstand that, but now, how are we going to be able to withstand 
all the false teaching that is just being crammed down our throat 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's like drinking out of a fire hose, right? And so it leads to a lot of confusion and delusion among Western Christians. And some of these false teachings may claim to be based upon the Bible, but they're actually rooted in unbiblical beliefs or practices. And our first example is this. Jesus declares, and the Bible states it very emphatically all the way through, that Christianity is exclusively, exclusively through Christ alone. But yet, we spout an inclusive Christianity, right? Is that what we say? It's, it's a personalized Christianity, right? Well, you know, I mean, you know, they... nuh It's exclusive. Now, I don't want to leave you with the idea that things are hopeless. We can rebuild the church. We can see re- restoration if we really desire it. And we have to do that, first of all, through preaching the word of God faithfully, prioritizing sound doctrine, emphasizing biblical worship, focus on discipleship, engage the community, cultivate a culture of accountability, and pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance and power. See, rebuilding a biblical, historical, reformed church in the present culture will require a long-term commitment, but, uh, you know, the rewards are eternal. That's what we're working towards. And so by prioritizing the Word of God, sound doctrine, biblical worship, discipleship, community engagement, accountability, and prayer, we can rebuild. But that is the problem, right? It has to be built upon Christ. And we do not even have that as part of the Christian worldview any longer. In a postmodern culture that values inclusivity and relativism, the exclusivity of Christ can be a difficult concept for people to grasp and accept. Because it is not part of our worldview any longer in any capacity. Anything that is exclusive is to be rejected. And everything is to be accepted and praised. Even when things are as ludicrous as a man thinking he can be a woman. So the idea that there is only one way to God through Jesus Christ... Oh, my goodness. In this kind of a culture, it is met with resistance and hostility. But we know this is a foundational belief of Christianity, and without it, there is no Christianity. It is based upon the teachings of the Bible. Jesus declared his exclusivity when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, not anyone, comes to the Father except through me. Now this statement leaves no room, absolutely zero room for interpretation, right? There's no interpretation to be had here. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. 
And no one can come to the Father except through the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus Christ. There's no negotiation to be had. Well, I'll take, I'll take the first one, but I don't want the second two. Or I'll take the second two, but I don't want the first one. No, there's no negotiation to be had. It's a clear declaration of Christ's exclusivity as the only way to the Father. Now, the exclusiveness of Christ is not a statement of arrogance or intolerance from us. It is a statement of truth based on the character and nature of God because God is holy and just and sin separates us from him. But God is also loving and merciful and he provided a way for us to be reconciled to him through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus is the only way to the Father. He alone has paid the penalty for our sin and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. So in this postmodern culture that values diversity and tolerance, the idea of one exclusive truth is very uncomfortable. But the exclusivity of Christ is not meant for that purpose. It is meant for the salvation of the world. You see, it's a message of hope and salvation for all people. And as Christians, we are called to declare this message to the whole world. That in our misery and ruin, God has provided a way of salvation. So, let's look at this real quickly. First of all, notice Jesus is the way. This isn't like a deep sermon here, right? Jesus is the way. He declared himself to be the way. He didn't say that he was a way. like the Jehovah's Witnesses tried to do with their translation of the Bible. Not that he was God, but he was a God, right? Well, we in our minds want to do that to Jesus. We want to say, well, he is a way. We have Christians today, well, yeah, that's the way I have chosen. It may not be the right way for you. No, Jesus is The way, not a way. He is the only way. The definite article used here is significant. It means that Jesus is the only way to the Father and that no other path can lead us to God. The statement contradicts the idea that there are many paths that lead to God or that there are many ways to God or that you can find your own way. No, the way has already been provided And that is the road you must travel if you are going to find the end. So Jesus' words are very uh, clear here that that there is only one way to the Father and it is through him. We cannot come to God by any other means. And so the Bible and historical Christianity affirms this, that Jesus is the only way to salvation. The apostles also preached that salvation is only through Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else. No other way of salvation, Peter says. 
For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. You see, this was a bold statement by Peter in a culture that valued religious pluralism. Now, among the Jews, they were exclusive but not exclusive, right? So in, in, in doctrine, they tried to proclaim an exclusive nature, but in practice, they were inclusive. But then you had the Roman world in which they existed, which was pluralistic. You could believe in any god you wanted to. Rome did not discriminate when it came to religion. By the way, none of the Babylons ever discriminate when it comes to religion. As long as, like in the day of the Roman Empire, as long as you confess that Caesar is the Lord of Lords, you can believe in any God you want. As long as you believe in the state God. And so, they don't discriminate. But Peter is saying in that culture, no, 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 no. All those other religions, they're false, and they will damn you to hell. There's only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we find the historical teaching of Christianity affirmed in the early church concerning the exclusivity of Christ, the Nicene Creed, written in 325 A.D., a creed that we utilize, declares that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. This creed continues to be a central statement of faith among Christianity, in Christianity. And it declares the exclusiveness of salvation through Christ alone. And then when we consider Jesus' death and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates that he is the only way to salvation. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul writes, But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then in verse, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, Paul says, And if Christ has not been risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. These passages make it clear that salvation is only possible through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So biblical and historical Christianity affirms that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And as Christians, we should be confident in this truth and boldly share it with others. And then secondly, Jesus is the truth. Jesus also declared himself not just to be the way to the truth, but that he himself is the truth. So I said in Sunday school this morning, <laughs> Jesus is the word manifested in the flesh, the word of God. And the word of God that was revealed in the Old Testament is Christ. And that word reveals Christ, for Christ is the word. Therefore, Christ does not disagree with one word of the Old Testament. He affirms everything in the Old Testament because he spoke it. 
So in a, tr- in a world where truth is relative, you know, it's relative, right? It's like, well, that's fine. That's your belief. It's not my belief. When we accepted that, boy, as Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute, and we Christians were suckers. We were suckers. In the 1800s, in the early 1900s, we were suckers. We fell for the biggest lie. We fell for this whole diversity. This, we fell for this inclusionary concept. We fell for this independent, autonomous, Western democracy, as it is called, called now. which is basically just saying there's no such thing as truth. In a world where truth is relative, Jesus' statement is revolutionary. If you want to be a revolutionary, if you want to be countercultural, be a Christian today. Right? <laughs> because there is nothing more contra to this world than historical Christianity. But you see, Jesus claimed that he is the embodiment of truth. He didn't say that he teaches the truth, but that he is the truth. Jesus is the ultimate reality. He's the only reality, and there is no reality outside of Christ. You cannot have reality outside of Christ, and we see now as the world is rejecting Christ, the reality thing is a problem, isn't it? We've lost all reality. Why? Because we rejected Christ. So we can't have access to the truth apart from Christ. Truth has fallen in the streets because we have rejected Christ. You see, the claim that Jesus is the truth is Christianity. And that is our claim. First of all, that Jesus is the way. And then secondly, he is the truth. You see, this statement in John 14, 6 implies that truth is not just an abstract concept, but it is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus tells Pilate, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, Jesus said. See, Jesus identifies himself as the embodiment of truth and implies that those who recognize him as such will hear and respond to his message. Throughout Christian history, theologians and scholars have recognized Jesus as the ultimate source and standard of truth, for he is the only truth. In his confessions, Augustine, or Augustine, writes this. You, talking about God, have commanded that man should believe in you and love his neighbor. And in this consists the whole of truth. Augustine implies that all truth is ultimately grounded in God, who is revealed through Jesus Christ. John Calvin wrote, all truth is from God, and consequently, if wicked men have 
said anything that is true and just, we ought not to reject it, for it has come from God. God is the source of all truth. Everything that is true comes from God. And this, of course, has been realized and manifested through Jesus Christ. And so Calvin and the other reformers recognized that all truth ultimately comes from God and that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of truth. You see, the claim that Jesus is the truth makes logical sense. And this is where it comes to the aspect of Christianity because basically what we're talking about here this morning is where our allegiance lies, okay? Um, So the... The claim that Jesus is the truth makes logical sense. And we need to be committed to this. We need to wrestle with the things that are holding us up, the obstacles that are causing us to have doubt. And we need to get this thing settled and understand and have a real true faith and knowledge that we are confident in that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, a confidence that we have hope in him. Because our problem today is that we really do not. And that is the faith we are passing along or trying to pass along to others, a skeptical faith, a doubting faith. And what we need is a confident faith because a confident faith says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. A non-confident faith is like, well, you have your opinion and I have my opinion. That's not a confident faith. That's not what won the world in the first century. That's no better than the relative postmodernism of today. Nothing that's absolute. Can't know anything. But I am 100% confident that I know that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless and perfect life. And he was crucified on the cross for the remission of our sins. And he was buried and he rose again. And he ascended and sits on the right hand of God. And all power and all authority has been granted unto him in heaven and on earth. And that one of these days he is going to return. And he is going to bring all those who have believed in him into the resurrection of eternal life. Believe it because... The Bible declares it. I believe it because the church has affirmed it throughout all ages. I also believe it because all of it makes logical sense. See, it makes logical sense that Jesus is the truth when you consider the implications of his life and teachings. And just based upon, by the way, when it comes to the word, all you have to do is Deuteronomy 28 proves that the Bible is right and modernism is wrong. Because Deuteronomy 28 tells us that if we defy the order of creation, if we defy the sacred order that has been revealed by God in creation, in natural revelation, and also in special revelation, 
that we will receive negative consequences. But if we obey that which God has commanded, we will be blessed. So there's this blessings and cursings. And it is easy to look at the world and say, yep, mark one over there for the Bible. Put a big old goose egg over there for the modernist. Because they are absolutely 100% wrong. But when we look at the implications of Jesus' life and teachings, we can understand that there is logical evidence shows that he is the truth. And so he claimed to be the way and the truth. And of course, what we need is for Christians to be confident. If you're a follower of Jesus, to be confident that the one you're following is the way and the truth. And then finally, the life. He declared himself to be the life. He didn't say that. He just gives life, but that he is life. He is the source of all life. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And apart from Jesus, there is no life. We cannot have eternal life apart from Jesus. You see, this claim that Jesus is the life is a central tenet of the Christian faith. As it is through Christ alone that we have access to eternal life. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Very well-known verse, right? We learned this when we were kids. In John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. There's another one you can start applying to the world. See if the Christian worldview gives life or if the modernist worldview gives life. Which one brings death and which one brings life? See, because Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And then Jesus claims to be the source of abundant life, that they might have it more abundantly, right? And we can see in other places that there's only life through the Son. See, the Christian faith attests to the truth that Jesus is the life and there is no life apart from him. And so basically what we're saying is this. You've heard the saying, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus as priest, the way. What does a priest do? What does a priest do? He is one who knows the way and directs other people in the way to have access to God. Jesus as priest, the way, truth, Jesus as prophet, what does a prophet do? He tells the truth, right? He's a truth teller. Jesus as king, life, the king orders and regulates life of its citizens. You see, the threefold office of Christ is actually what is being declared here by Jesus Christ when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way that we have access through to God is through God's prophet, God's priest, and God's king. 
John Calvin wrote, These three offices have been distinguished in Christ and each distinctly and separably attributed to him by the scriptures. And by the way, that's how we can have prophets, priests, and kings, is because of Jesus Christ, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then then the Belgic Confession says that Christ is an eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Martin Luther, in his larger catechism, says concerning the threefold office of Christ that the most uh, glorious and noblest of all, which shall allure us most powerfully and compel us to love and trust him above all things, is to know. These three offices, prophet, priest, and king, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, we affirm that Jesus is not, that he is not a way, he's not a truth, and that he is a life. We don't just affirm that he is just the way, or just the truth, or just the life. What we are saying is that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. That he is our prophet, priest, and king who offers salvation, speaks truth, and rules over all things. Jesus' statement in John 14 and verse 6 is exclusive. But it's not narrow-minded because it embodies all truth. It hasn't narrowed anything but it contains everything. Calvin said, we should tremble at the thought of seeking any other way of access to the Father than through Jesus Christ. And this is where we are today, though. We sit here in 2013 needing to reclaim the exclusive claims of Christianity that first begins with this, that there is no salvation in any other, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king of his church and also of this world. And there is no other than him. Nothing. No room for any alternatives. No room for any deviations. There's one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. You see, the thing that must be settled if we are going to see anything rebuilt is this. The thing that must be settled is our allegiance. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life or not? Is Jesus prophet, priest, and king or not? That is the decision we have to make. It is basically the same question that's been asked throughout all of history. Choose this day who you will serve. Father, we profess and proclaim that there is no salvation in any other way than through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, all of our hope is in him. And there is no room 
for any other possibility. Our faith must rest entirely and completely in him. So we pray that you would grant us that kind of faith. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.